Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. for this episode I got to thinking about Captain America's rogue gallery in the MCU and I started to ask myself how does his rogue gallery stack up to the other villains in the MCU because as much as we all love the Marvel Cinematic Universe we also can't deny that there is a problem with the villains in the MCU and we've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast where we've discussed how a lot of the villains are one-dimensional, they're short-sighted, and they're there basically just to serve as cannon fodder for the heroes. And it's one of those things where it's like, I get it, but this doesn't have to be a reoccurring event. Now, with that being said, there are several tremendous villains in the MCU, but even still, how exactly does Captain America's Rogue Gallery stack up against the other MCU villains. So it got me thinking. In, in Cap 1, clearly we have Red Skull. And Hugo Weaving is a fantastic actor. He loves, uh, well, I'm not going to say he loves playing Red Skull, but I loved seeing him play Red Skull. But he clearly didn't like the role. He didn't like the part, hence why he never returned. Red Skull his exiting in the first Cap movie clearly set it up to have him come back in some capacity, which years later he did in Endgame, of course. But even still, Hugo's performance was good. Don't get me wrong, but man, I don't know. It was There was something off about the entirety of the first Captain America movie. I'm not even going to hold you guys on that one. You know, like the first Cap movie was just kind of it existed. <laughs> and the best part about Cap 1 was the end credit scenes, which was basically just a glorified commercial for Avengers 1. But you know, even with all that, though, Red Skull was decent. I mean, he was good. I, he, he played the role of the evil, villainous Nazi, which, if you're going to capture any essence of the Red Skull, it needs to be that, so... And, you know, he, he served as a good foil for Captain America. So I, I thought that he was all right. Uh, moving on to Winter Soldier, you get uh, you get a few more villains in this one. So clearly you get Winter Soldier himself. And it could be argued whether or not you consider him to be a villain or not. But I would say that for the sake of the movie, he mostly is. I mean, he's... He's been stated to be a murderer, a, a boogeyman, an assassin who has killed probably dozens of people over the decades uh, in between being put in cryo sleep. I mean, Bucky was fantastic. Winter Soldier was a fantastic movie. 
if you guys have been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know just how much I thoroughly enjoy that movie. It's one of my favorites. It is my favorite uh, solo movie in terms of it just belonging to a singular character in the MCU. And I would actually put it up against most any superhero movies. That's how much I like uh, Winter Soldier. But Bucky was tremendous. Uh, the Winter Soldier, he played that boogeyman role to a T, and he was a great foil for Steve Rogers, both physically and also emotionally, because Steve has emotional ties to this character. And, and also, Bucky was portrayed so perfectly. Uh, I mean, what can you say about the performance, you know? like <laughs> Sebastian Stan is, is the man, and he did that shit perfectly. And, of course, Sebastian was also in Cap 1, and we kind of see the... Uh, the roots of Bucky's uh, incarnation as he, he falls off of like this sky train thing on a mountain. You guys remember the movie, but anyways, uh, winter soldier was clearly the, the best villain using quotation marks and, in the captain America franchise. Uh, but also in civil war, there was, uh, you had Alexander Pierce, now, he was a bit of a red herring of sorts, almost like uh, the opposite of a red herring, actually, because in the comics, <laughs> he's kind of a deep cut character. And what I mean by deep cut is that he's not one who you would particularly expect to see in a movie. But as soon as you see that this, with all due respect, the C-list character is being portrayed by Robert Redford, you know that he's going to play a really big role. Now, the thing about Alexander Pierce is that in the comics, he's not a bad guy. He's actually a good guy. Uh, he's more of a, of a secondary character of sorts, um, who I believe he worked with Nick Fury a few times, hence their history in the movie. But I don't think that anyone was surprised when Robert Redford was revealed to be a villain in this movie, simply because, again, you don't cast a high profile actor like Robert Redford and have him in this, you know, kind of Easter eggish role, uh, and Alexander Pierce. So, you know, and I think I may have said this before, like it would have made more sense canonically had he been Alexander Lucan, uh, who is a, a villain in the Captain America comics, but you know, Hey, what's one Alice compared to another? Uh, I thought that uh, Robert Redford's performance, I mean, he's Robert Redford. So of course it was a great performance, uh, I, I really liked how we got that kind of slow burn, that slow reveal, and then we get the one scene with Bucky or Winter Soldier walking into uh, Pierce's kitchen, and it looks like Winter Soldier's there to murder Alexander Pierce, and then we get the reveal that, oh no, Pierce is actually controlling Bucky to some degree, and Winter Soldier is working for Pierce. Uh, that was a really cool reveal, a really cool way to do that. So I thought that he was, you know, he was all right. He he definitely wasn't the primary focus and he didn't need to be. He was just kind of a catalyst to serve or, or to show that S.H.I.E.L.D. is uh, compromised. So I thought that he was good. Uh, and of course, there's also Arnim Zola. I know I'm, sp I'm spending way more time on this than I probably should. But hey, if I can't rant on this goddamn podcast, then where can a man rant? But Arnim Zola... Uh, for those of you who may not remember, he was uh, he was also in Captain Miracle 1, and he also technically was in Cap 2. 
he was the he's a biochemist, I believe, in the comics. Uh, if you guys remember in Winter Soldier, he is technically in a robot or he's in a computer, I should say. His consciousness was uploaded to the computer. Uh, this is in the scene when Steve and uh, and Black Widow go to this, uh, this this old rundown military base, and they uncover that uh, on this old computer was the consciousness of Arnim Zola, who begins to exposit and tell them a lot of information. And uh, I love how the characters were self-aware enough to ask, why in the world are you telling us all this? And he goes, well, that's because I've been distracting you. I sent a, a missile strike to this location, None of you are getting out of here alive. <laughs> and so while his appearance in Cap 2 was really just a, again, a glorified Easter egg, it was one that was really well done. It was definitely uh, the best way or the most grounded way to show Arnhem's crazy comic book roots because uh, he was around during uh, World War II uh, those days back in, uh, in, in the comic book history and then uh, the way he survived is again by uploading his consciousness into like a robotic uh, computer. So, no, I, I really enjoyed that they uh, put that tidbit in the movie. It really took with my fancy. And I think that's. Oh no! Uh, I also can't forget uh, another big one who's introduced again in Winter Soldier is Crossbones. Uh, Crossbones, played by uh, Frank Grillo. This is one of the rare occasions where we actually have a villain who setup is more spectacular than the end result. One of my many problems with the Civil War movie was the portrayal of Crossbones. He definitely should have had a bigger impact because he really is a a great villain. He's he's imposing. Out of all of the villains in the MCU movies who could have been a, a proper physical threat to Cap, Crossbones would have been on that short list because as I'm about to discuss in greater detail, uh, Zemo uh, is not a, a physically imposing villain for Cap. Crossbones is, or he could have been. But we get the introduction to Crossbones in Winter Soldier, and I love that setup. I, I love the whole idea of having Crossbones work for S.H.I.E.L.D., but of course S.H.I.E.L.D. had been compromised to the point where even Nick Fury didn't know that S.H.I.E.L.D. was compromised. That's how high far up this thing went. I love the MCU conspiracy theories, you know, and all that. Just the fact that, man, you didn't even know that the Nazis had infiltrated your corporation that you had been a part of for decades now. But uh, anyways, I thought that the setup of Crossbones was perfect. We get the reveal that, yeah, this guy, Brock Rumlow, he is indeed working uh, with and for Alexander Pierce. Uh, all these guys are technically all Hydra. And the way that the movie ends, when a soldier that is, it even ends with the setup for him leaning more into the Crossbones role. And we go to Civil War now, and it starts off with, with Brock Rumlow starts off with Crossbones and we see that he's in the full Crossbones getup. And I actually really, I really dug his, uh, his outfit there. I dug his attire and, uh, his weaponry. Uh, I was really excited at first. And then of course, uh, he is the catalyst for the events that will lead to the uh, civil war, to the superhero registration act or the Sokovia Accords, whatever you want to call them. Uh, 
uh, he is the one who fulfills the role that Nitro played in the comic books. In the comic books, Nitro uh, was the one who was uh, accosted by the New Warriors uh, as they were trying to film their TV show. Not to go off on a tangent about the Civil War comic, uh, but Crossbones was the one who fulfilled that role that Nitro played here. I thought that was kind of cool. Unfortunately, the thing that wasn't cool about it was that, uh, of course, in the comic book, Nitro, he explodes, that's that's his power, letting off this huge energy wave uh, in a school zone, killing, I think, 600 people, most of which were children. Uh, We go to the Civil War movie, and Crossbones is fulfilling that position. Crossbones is now uh, in that spot where he is killing a bunch of Sokovians, uh, you know, he's about to release some kind of detonating device on him that's going to blow up and kill a bunch of people. Scarlet Witch tries to contain it. We know how that goes. Uh, as to her trauma, a bunch of Sokovians die, and now the government really wants to step in with the Superhero Registration Act, or I mean the Sokovia Accords, same thing. And that kind of leads into Zemo, which I guess technically would be the last Captain America solo villain of sorts definitely put an asterisk by Zemo I've said my piece about Zemo in the past about how I think that he was a, a really uh, lackluster villain I mean he just wasn't impressive the events of the movie would have mostly unfolded all the same with or without Zemo so he set it up so that it looked like Bucky killed uh, King T'Chaka I get that that part does make sense, and, and I think it mostly checks out. I think I have some problems with that in the past, but it's been a while since I've seen the Civil War movie. Uh, we see that Zemo is not a physically imposing threat at all in this movie. He's actually just an ordinary guy, which I think is kind of the most laughable, you know, kind of <laughs> thrown-together thing that you could put for a villain. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's upset because his... Uh, his family was killed during the Ultron attack, and he blames the superheroes for it. What I'm getting at is that Zemo, he isn't even really a Captain America villain. This guy just doesn't like superheroes in general. But I'm going to talk more about Zemo later, uh, because part of this episode is going to be discussing what I think is going to transpire in the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show but also talking about characters who are going to be introduced in this TV show. And of course, also discussing where some of these characters were last seen and, and left off at in the MCU. So there's a lot to really break down here. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to this one. So at this point, you guys are probably wondering, Q, you've been talking to yourself now for almost 15 minutes. How is it that the code opening is, the code intro is, is longer when I do this shit by myself than it is when I have a (laughs) co-host. It goes to show that when left to my own devices, I can rant like a motherfucker. No one can stop me. No one. Uh, But before I get into that that explanation, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Superhero Homies Podcast. My name is Quentin, and today I am here all by myself, all by my lonesome. I am here solo dolo. Now, for those of you uh, who don't have a uh, Patreon, because I think I, I already talked about this on the Patreon page, uh, but the homie Kevin uh, is uh, not here. Uh, he will be back in just a few short weeks. Uh, he is out vacationing right now, living his best life, 
and uh, he's having a blast right now, guys. So don't worry, everything is all fine. Everything is is uh, copacetic with the podcast. There's nothing, no drama, no bullshit going on. And uh, so there would be a few episodes that I do solo dolo, uh, this being one of them. But for a lot of the episodes, I will have homies coming on to guest. So uh, all of these will not be by myself. I will have people coming on to assist me with a lot of these episodes. So don't uh, think that the next few episodes are just going to be me talking to myself until Kevin gets back. That's not the case. But uh, for this one, you do get to hear me talk to myself and also to you, retrospectively. Anyway, guys, yeah, so this episode is one that I've really been looking forward to because with the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show, I think that there are things about this that maybe some people haven't been talking about a lot. I think that there's some really cool kind of theories about this one that can be broken down and uh, deconstructed. Uh, There's a lot of things that this show can do, I think, to really put like the, uh, the spy thriller espionage side of the MCU back on the map. And I also think that this can be a correction course for certain characters Looking at you, Zemo. So without further ado, guys, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's go ahead and start with Zemo since I've already been talking shit about him. (laughs) So, of course, we see Zemo in the MCU first in Civil War. And now in the comic books, there's two main versions of Zemo. Uh, There's Heinrich Zemo, who was technically he's not the OG because there's like a line of uh, Baron Zemo's. Uh, the, the title of Baron Zemo is very similar to that of Black Panther in the sense of it's a lineage that's passed down. So there's probably been like dozen, I think even more than a dozen different Zemos, but there's there's really only two that we focus on in the Marvel comics. And uh, that is Heinrich Zemo, who was the one who was, uh, I believe he's the one who was, was responsible for uh, Bucky's quote-unquote original death, Back in the day, and for Cap being frozen in ice, uh, that was uh, Heinrich. I uh, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Heinrich. And then his son, Helmut, is the one who's more modern, more current day. Uh, so, in the MCU, I was... Uh, I, I expected them to combine elements of the two, of Heinrich and Helmut, to combine elements of those two together to make the character that we get in Civil War. Now, I think that Daniel Brule, that's the actor who played Helmut. I think that he is a fantastic actor. Everything I've seen him in, the guy just absolutely bodies. And I thought that the role he was given here, while the role honestly didn't make a lot of sense, the more you think about it, the more you realize that a lot of his intentions and a lot of his uh, his planning came down to to chance, luck, and happenstance. Like he needed all three of those to really be in strong and heavy effect for any of his plans to truly come to fruition. So this guy really depended on a lot of divine intervention for his plans to to really work out properly. I mean, honestly, but if you uh, if you look at Daniel's performance, though, like the way that he plays what he's given, Daniel does a fantastic job, which is why I was excited uh, when I heard originally, I guess a year and a half ago now that 
he would be reprising the role of Helmut Zemo in the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. I think that's great. Uh, for me, is is um, it's similar to how I feel about Jared Leto getting to at least somewhat reprise his role as Joker in the Snyder Cut, because we all know how how Suicide Squad was and how that didn't do anybody any favors. Uh, we all know that uh, that that role it didn't hit. <laughs> it didn't hit at all. But hopefully, uh, Jared Leto would be able to uh, redeem himself by getting to show more of what he had originally done in Suicide Squad before WB went and just massacred that movie. Uh, I'm hoping that we can get something similar for Daniel Brule as, as Zemo, whereas his issue is less of a performance issue and more of a can we fix this character so that he makes more sense and could be more imposing and more threatening. Uh, I think that really needs to be done here uh, in, in this particular movie. Uh, so what we have here with, uh, with Zemo is he's put in, in, in a position where his family had been killed by Ultron or at least in the Ultron attack. And he blames the heroes because the heroes just kind of go along with life. I mean, and, and that is true. Hell, I mean, in, in a lot of comic books, especially modern day comics, the ones that I make fun of for not acknowledging continuity, these comics, uh, they tend to have these big events, uh, infinity this, crisis that, secret this. You guys get the, get the idea. And these things have got to be traumatic for people who are not superhuman. <laughs> I mean, they're traumatic for people who are superhuman. And just the whole idea that a lot of modern day comic books just kind of roll on. They'll have this really big traumatic experience. Galactus can come and fucking eat the planet or whatever and spit it back up. And uh, the heroes are just kind of mosey on and move on with life like the shit never happened. But what about the people who are traumatized by this? What about the people who have lost loved ones in these events? How do they feel? I really enjoyed that aspect of Zemo in Civil War. Uh, the fact that we got to see the, the grief and the the sadness and the anger felt by the everyday man. And the fact that he wanted these heroes to, to suffer to some degree. Now, does it completely make sense that he wants them to just not be there? <laughs> that he just wants to get rid of them? He wants them to destroy each other? I mean, no, because what are you going to do when the next Ultron comes about? <laughs> you know, like if there's no heroes to stop the next Ultron or the next big bad villain, then what are you going to do? But anyways, uh, I mean, hey, you know, he's, he was grieving. He wasn't thinking clearly, but he was thinking clearly enough, apparently, to come up with this super elaborate scheme that, that doesn't really add up. If you guys go back in our catalog far enough, you'll be able to find... Uh, the episode where we covered Civil War. A lot of our first episodes on this podcast was every week we would break down uh, a movie in the MCU. Uh, we go from the uh, the movie that was released first down to the latest, and we did this leading up to Infinity War. Uh, we timed it so that like we were 20 weeks out from Infinity War. And uh, yeah, so if you guys go back and listen to our breakdown of Civil War, uh, the the movie that is not not a review of the comic. 
you guys will see that uh, I was not a fan <laughs> of Zemo or his plan. And uh, then because I had just watched the movie and then we sat down and recorded, uh, my thoughts about why he sucked were a lot fresher. But from what I can recall now, I mostly just remember this and it being that this guy wasn't even really a Captain America villain in the movie. I mean, his, his, his beef was with all of them, not cap. His plot, I'm using quotation marks for the most part would have transpired even if he had done jack shit. And ultimately his purpose in the movie was to serve as a deflector. He was to be a shield of sorts because, and this is just me speculating here, but I can wholeheartedly see Marvel not wanting their audience to feel uncomfortable with civil war because of Tony Stark's antagonistic behavior. I can completely see Marvel wanting to shoehorn another villain into the movie so that the heat could be taken off of Tony and put on Zemo so that the general audience could feel more comfortable with the events of the movie. Now, again, that's just me speculating. I don't have any, any evidence to back up that claim. Just watching the movie, that's the only reason I can think of as to why they felt Zemo needed to be included in this movie in such a manner. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But Zemo's, his, his ideology here is just, uh, it's, it's, it's all different from the comics. And I understand why they changed some things. I do. Because if I'm being completely honest, uh, Zemo, hell, any of the Zemos, particularly Heinrich and Helmut, like they're, I would see Heinrich even more than Helmut, but like his origin is dangerously close to Red Skull. I mean, they're both Nazis. Uh, they're both men of power. Uh, they're they were both you know men who would obviously do battle with Captain America. Um, they were both hideously disfigured. Um, I mean, yeah, so th there's just a lot of things that those two have in common. So I definitely understand that you don't want to lean too much into the Red Skull bag because the audience could be like, we already got Red Skull. We don't need another one. But at the same time, I think that you can still implement some of the original concepts of Zemo and hold true to that character and maybe make him more of a useful uh, entity here. Because honestly, if you wanted somebody to feel the role that Zemo played in this movie, it could have been Crossbones. You could have given Frank Grillo more screen time. He could have had more to do in this movie. And I think it would have made for a better movie, honestly, also because he's one in the MCU who can aptly defend himself. Whereas clearly in the MCU, Zemo couldn't defend himself. Now, I'm not saying that I think that Zemo is like, the worst villain in the MCU that that title goes to like either ghost from Ant-Man and Wasp, Yon Rog from uh, Captain Marvel or, or probably uh, fucking fake Mandarin or Ald or uh, Aldrich Killian from Iron Man three. Those are some of the worst villains in the MCU amongst amongst others for sure. But off the top of my head, those are definitely some of the worst. So Zemo isn't like 
bottom of the barrel bad, but he is probably at the top of the list for most nonsensical. Like, why are you here? I can guarantee you that Tony Stark and Captain America are going to fight regardless uh, of, of your input. Uh, like, the, you had no input on the events that led to the Sokovia Accords, you know, in, in terms of uh, Crossbones blowing himself up and taking out a bunch of Sokovians with him, or a, a bunch of uh, wherever they were. You guys get the idea. But, yeah, uh, so moving forward here, I think that in terms of the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show, I think that Zemo is going to be... He's going to play that role again, but I think that this time, hopefully anyway, he'll have a a role that makes more sense, one that is more integral, because he just felt so tacked on in Civil War. He felt so, so much like an afterthought, like, let's put this scene in here to make it feel like it jails, but it just didn't. Uh, I can guarantee you that most people, when they think about Civil War, don't think about Zemo. They think about probably the, the airport scene or seeing Black Panther for the first time or seeing Spider-Man in the MCU. <laughs> no one's thinking about Zemo. And that's kind of a problem. But I think that here, he still has his vendetta against heroes. He still feels like there should not be any heroes. I wonder if he survived uh, the, the blip the decimation, the snapping. I wonder if he got blipped with, uh, you know, everyone else who got blipped or if he uh, remained. That'd be interesting. It'd be really cool if, like, maybe one of the opening shots of the show, we see that he does not get blipped, but he's one of the few who who stays on Earth, or I guess one of the half who stays on Earth. And maybe uh, that is what leads him to getting out of jail because I would really like to know how the hell this man has escaped. Because, of course, Zemo does live at the end of Civil War. Uh, And just thinking about how he could have escaped, man, if, you know, the guards and uh, all the chaos and all that, people getting blipped and he stays, like, I think that's the perfect way for him to make his escape. Uh, In the trailer, we hear that he still has his plan to eradicate all heroes. They don't need to be a thing. He still has a hard vendetta against superheroes. And we also know that in the trailer, we see him dawn on his iconic mask. That's big for me. You guys know that I'm big on aesthetic. I'm big on at least trying to pay homage to canonical roots. And who knows, maybe in this one, we'll hear him talk more about his heritage. Maybe in this one, we'll, we'll get to have bigger connections to uh, who Zemo Zemo is in the comics. You know, we can hope. But I do want to put a pause on Zemo right now because I can't go more into my theories about Zemo without quickly discussing some of the other characters in this show. So, uh, Zemo, he does run the risk of encountering the exact same problem that he had in Civil War, and that is feeling like he's tacked on in a show or movie that really doesn't need him. And the reason I say that is because Falcon and Winter Soldier does have another villain, one who we technically really don't get to see in the trailer, and that is uh, a character by the name of John Walker. John F. Walker. 
Uh, he is more aptly known by the name U.S. Agent. Uh, and he's kind of an in-between guy in terms of, is he a good guy or a bad guy? But I think in the terms of this show, he's definitely going to be a villain, and I am here for it. I think that this is going to be a great turn of events. So let's talk about John Walker for a little bit here. John Walker, he always had he always had the idea that he wanted to serve his country. He loved that idea. He idolized his brother who served. I mean, technically his brother served in the Vietnam War. You got to think about when, when these comics were first created, you know. But uh, his brother served in war and his brother died in combat. And John idolized his brother. And he wanted to make his parents proud in the same way that his brother did. And when John came of age, he joined the military. And when he joined the military, it was during a time of peace. And so he didn't get to see that, that action or become that hero that he felt his brother was. So John gets out of the military and he goes home and he, well, he doesn't go home. I think he, he goes to like a, uh, I guess to like a, a, a different base. But I mean, after a while, he just kind of feels aimless, but he, he wants to serve his country and in a manner that he feels uh, would best or more aptly help serve his country. I mean, he's just really gung-ho about patronism, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the way he goes about it that's a problem. Uh, eventually, he goes on the black market. Now, of course, if you live in the Marvel comic universe, if you go in the black market, you're going to find some shit that's going to give you superpowers more than likely. And he and a buddy, they go to a guy called the power broker. Now, the deal with the power broker was he would, he would give you this, uh, I think it was like a shot or like some kind of some kind of concoction that would bestow upon you uh, superpowers, namely things like, you know, uh, enhanced healing, strength, speed, durability, you know, like the, the, the gambit of kind of base superpowers. But in return you would be in debt to the power broker and you would have to work those debts off. And in the power broker's idea, if he did this enough, he'd be able to have enough people in his pocket to really do some heinous shit because he have like a legion of superpower people under his belt, you know? And so that's technically how uh, John Walker gets his powers. Now, John Walker, he does what any sensible person would do when they receive superpowers. What does he go out and do? Well, he becomes a pro wrestler, of course. Like, what else would you do? That's what I would do. <laughs> uh, but no, he has a very short stint uh, in a uh, professional wrestling promotion uh, before he's uh, convinced by uh, another gentleman to uh, to maybe look uh, to doing something else, like maybe looking to becoming a superhero of sorts. And uh, that's what he does. He he gets an outfit and, and a new name and moniker. And I think he becomes a yeah, super patriot. I believe it's the name that he goes by. That's his moniker. And now the thing about John Walker and his whole shtick with the super patriot is he's a, he's very anti-Captain America. Feels like Captain America is old. He's antiquated. He's outdated. Uh, that Captain America doesn't really resonate with the people anymore. He doesn't feel that Steve Rogers, Steve Rogers, is a good representation 
of what America is. He thinks that Steve is still stuck back in the 40s. He doesn't think that Steve understands the American people today. And this really ruffles Steve uh, Steve's feathers, but things don't really come to blow between the two. Not yet, anyway. Uh, but it's not really until uh, John and some goons of his... Uh, who at first he calls them the Buckies, and then I think because like you know the the the, the racial uh, undertones of that name, uh, they, they changed to the Urban Commandos because I think that like most of his most of his goons were black, uh, so they they're uh, rebranded like the uh, uh, I think the Urban Commandos, but uh, at the time they were known as the Buckies, and uh, he stages like an attack where uh, he's talking shit about Captain America, and then these goons come out and attack him, and then he stops them. This is finally when Steve Rogers himself steps in and says, hey, you got to stop this shit, man. I know that this was all an act, but people could have gotten hurt. And Steve's intention here is to talk down John Walker, is to help this guy understand that what you're doing, it's, it's not good and it's not going to work out for you. Now, at this point, Steve also doesn't know exactly what John is capable of. Uh, but Steve does eventually, he turns his back on John and goes to walk away. And of course, John doesn't like that. And now fisticuffs ensue and these guys go at it. You got to remember, this is probably something that Steve wanted to, uh, to do anyway, because again, John had been talking mad shit about Steve Rogers for a while now. And now it's time to put up or shut up. And so the two go at it. And what becomes apparent is, is two things. One, Steve Rogers is a much better, much more experienced fighter than John Walker. John Walker just got his superpowers, you know, not that long ago in comparison to Steve Rogers. And so Steve is putting it on him. But then the second thing that becomes apparent is that John may be a tad bit more powered than Steve Rogers because John is just, taking all this punishment and he's not going down. Steve Rogers cannot put this guy down. And <laughs> the way that the fight ends, is kind of funny. It's kind of what you expect a, a, a douchebag to do in a fight. I mean, the end result is not how we get there, but what happens is eventually Steve's like, you know what, dude, I'm done here. Like this fight's over. Uh, and, Steve goes to walk away and I think he gets hit with like a knife to the chest or like a throwing star. Uh, John throws something at Steve and because of like that, that traditional kind of scale male Captain America armor that Steve wears, it like it hits him and it penetrates the suit, but it doesn't really hurt him any. And when that happens, John, John, he starts to celebrate, man. He's happy. He considers that a victory over Captain America. I beat Steve Rogers. And Steve was like, what the fuck, man? No, if anything, it was a tie, but uh, whatever. And so Steve feels a little disheartened after that. Now, what happens next is interesting, too, because what we get next is there is a uh, a terrorist. Well, I think he's at the Washington Monument. And he's he's going to uh, detonate a nuclear uh, nuclear device. He's going to uh, blow up uh, the Washington Monument. Super Patriot, John Walker, he goes to... Uh, to stop this guy and he succeeds and he prevents the detonation of this nuclear device. You got to remember, even though John Walker is a raging douchebag, 
he does still mostly have good intentions and his intentions were to be a better Captain America to be the representation that he feels America needs. Now, what happens next is also interesting. Steve, at this point, the comics has begun to fall out of out of favor with a lot of U.S. Uh, agencies uh, because Steve now is he's fighting for the world, not just America. And he's he's done some things in Europe and in other countries. And now to certain U.S. agencies, they're feeling like Steve is forgetting who he is, which is Captain America. And so there's this organization, I think they're called like the Commission of Superhero Affairs, something of that, superhero action, superhero something. It's the CSA. And Steve is told that from now on, he used to report directly to the CSA uh, and that he will get all of his assignments from them and that he will go through them before he performs any kind of actions out in the field. And at this point, Steve has had enough. He basically says, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. And so he relinquishes the title of Captain America. And I think at this point he goes by just the captain. I, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what he goes by here. I think it is just the captain. It's not Nomad. He goes by Nomad, I think, like in the 70s. Um, you, might, you guys, have you guys ever read that comic where like uh, Richard Nixon is like kind of like the, the evil villain of sorts here? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Anyways, um, Bringing it back to John Walker, though. So now what the CSA recognizes is that with Steve Rogers stepped down, that's the problem because Captain America is a symbol. He's a symbol of hope for the American people. People feel safe knowing that Captain America is there. They feel like they always have a guardian and a protector. Without that symbol of hope, they wonder how much confidence the American people have and the government's ability to protect them. So without I mean, with all that being said, they definitely feel like they need a Captain America. So now their first two options are Nick Fury and Sam Wilson. These are the two candidates that the CSA has to replace Steve Rogers. Now, what we have to remember here is that this is back in like probably 1986 or 87. So Nick Fury uh, was still white. Here. And this is before we get the uh, Nick Fury that looks like Sam Jackson. Um, and the reason why I mentioned that and the reason why that's important is because when, uh, when the CSA looks at Nick Fury, they go, well, he's got the experience that we want. He's got the skills that we need. And we know that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He'll do whatever needs to be done for this country. But we're afraid he's too old. So maybe we shouldn't go with Nick Fury. And then they go, well, what about Sam Wilson? He's a good candidate. He's got the experience that we need to. He's got the combat experience. He's fought alongside Captain America for years. Uh, he's someone who's dependable and who we can trust. Well, yeah, but we don't think that the public is ready for a black Captain America yet. And so because of that reason... They don't choose Sam Wilson. I think that is going to be extremely important in terms of the premise of the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. I think we're going to lean heavily into that. 
uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a show that's focused on like the the social undertones of society and, and racial injustices. I don't think it's going to be heavily focused on that, but I do think it will give focus to just the, the, the truth of the matter, which is some people wouldn't want a black man to be the face of, of this country. So it is funny to think about the fact that even back in the eighties, Sam Wilson was technically really close to being chosen to be captain America. Uh, but anyways, one one member of the uh, CSA says, well, how about we choose this guy that stopped this terrorist, this uh, John Walker guy? He's very pro-America and he's very he, he's very gung ho. He's potentially what we're looking for. And so they choose him and he takes up the mantle of Captain America. And now I think this lasts for like 30 issues or so. So they really lean into it and they take their time with it. And during this, he's trained by <laughs> oddly enough, he's trained by a bunch of villains, one of which being Taskmaster, the Taskmaster. Yeah. Uh, and Taskmaster, I think he really teaches him like how to utilize cap shield, how to use it properly. And, uh, you know, long story short, because I don't want to stay too long on uh, on John Walker here, because there's other things that we want to talk about too. But with John Walker, uh, what we have to remember is that this guy, while his intentions may mostly be good, uh, he is a tad bit mentally unstable. He's not all there. Uh, I mean, essentially, guys, like he does take up the mantle. He does agree. Uh, to uh, to take up the mantle of Captain America, even though he had been talking shit about Captain America, he does it for his country because if that's what his country wants from him, then damn it, that's what he'll do. So John Walker does it, and he becomes Captain America. And like I said, he he is Captain America for a pretty lengthy time, but eventually, what happens is some of his his former goons they feel like they were kind of left to the wayside and I think they become uh, <laughs> uh, left wing and right wing become like their names and, and they, they out John Walker and they, uh, they out him to like a, a group of villainous terrorists who uh, because of, you know, right wing and left wing, they find out that, Oh, okay. So this new captain America name, his name is John Walker. We can find where his loved ones live and take him out. And uh, they, they kill John Walker's parents. I could be making that up actually, but I'm pretty sure that they kill his parents and, and this drives him crazy. Now what's also important to note is that even before this happens, John Walker, his approach as Captain America was much more, uh, brutal. He was way more violent than Steve Rogers, way more. And I mean, I'm talking to the point of beating people nearly to death. I mean, he was just, Absolutely vicious. And so now at this point when his parents have been murdered, he himself retaliates with said murder. He starts killing people. And it can be argued that these people deserve it, but even still, you're representing Captain America. So it's not a good look. Uh, long story short, the, the public is made aware that John Walker is a killer of sorts. 
and uh, the CSA set it up so that it looks like John Walker uh, is, is dead, that he died. And uh, he is taken and he's repurposed, giving a sli- slightly new identity. And he becomes U.S. agent. And if you guys have ever seen pictures of what looks like Captain America, but in a black suit, uh, that is U.S. agent. So... And, and things really don't get better for him in terms of like his mental stability. But at, at that point in the comics, he really does become more of, uh, I guess, an, an anti-hero of sorts. Like, uh, I don't want to really say Punisher because he doesn't really kill like the Punisher does. But, you know, in, in terms of uh, brutality of sorts. Yeah. And, and like the mental instability, uh, I would compare him to the Punisher in that regard. But that, in a nutshell, is John Walker, and uh, he is going to be played by uh, Wyatt Russell in the TV show. Wyatt Russell, who is the son of Kurt Russell, <laughs> who played Ego, the Living Planet, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, so it's funny, small role, you know. Uh, I wonder if uh, Kurt helped him get this role. I don't know, but uh, anyway, uh, he, he looks good though. Uh, from in like the uh, the the set photos. If you guys just Google the set photos, you can find them definitely. Uh, but definitely don't if you don't want any potential spoilers. I haven't seen any that have spoiled anything. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing John Walker and the role that he's going to play here. I really feel like they're going to lean heavily into John Walker being chosen by the government to be the face of America and Captain America's absence and that now they have a Captain America who they can fully control in terms of points and sickum, that kind of control. Like one who won't ask any questions, one who will do as told. And I think there's going to be a very cool contrast to, to Falcon, who we know was chosen by Steve Rogers and, and, uh, and Endgame to be the new Captain America. Uh, I think that this show will address like this country's, uh, I guess this country's willingness to have a uh, a black face, not like black face like the menstrual shit from that the racists did back in the day, but like a black uh, figurehead of sorts. Uh, it'll be interesting for sure. I think that the show is going to lean uh, a lot into that. But now the question is, again, what role does Zemo play? Well, I don't think that this show is going to utilize the power broker. Um, you know, as, as fun of, a, uh, of an idea as the power broker is, I don't think that he would be used to give John Walker his powers. Uh, I think that perhaps it comes from Zemo. If you guys look back at Civil War, you guys remember that the movie gives you a, a little bit of uh, uh, they set you up to think that Cap and Iron Man and, and Bucky are going to go walk into the scenario where they have to fight a bunch of crazed super soldiers. But in reality, they'd all been killed in their chambers. And uh, that's when we get like the big final showdown in Civil War. But now, what if because we know now that that means there were multiple super soldiers. What if Zemo had been able to secure a, a vial of whatever these failed super soldiers were given 
And what if he's able to utilize that? And what if he even just has the notes of the chemical compound that made up that serum that these soldiers were given? And what if he's, what if he's able to replicate that? And what if he gives this to John Walker? We know that Zemo in the MCU is very manip- uh, manipulative and that he is very capable of coming up with these extravagant multi-layered plans. I think it's possible to a degree that Zemo manipulates John Walker into doing his bidding, into taking out uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Who knows? Maybe that's how it is up until the final episode or so when Walker realizes that he has been manipulated. And then maybe that's when he turns on Zemo. I'm just guessing right now. I'm trying to think about how in the world... Zemo fits into this whole equation. And then, of course, you have your two main stars. You didn't think I was going to talk about them, did you? You have Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, the last time we saw them was, of course, in Endgame, where Old Man Rogers hands the shield off to, uh, uh, to Sam Wilson. Now, we can talk about that for a little bit if you guys are interested. Are you interested in... Uh, and Falcons kind of roots to becoming Captain America. Yeah, Quentin, we'd love to hear that. Cool, cool. Uh, so I'll tell you guys all about it. So what happens is that uh, I never forget, guys. It was it was the damnedest thing. Give me a second here. I need a water break. That is high quality H2O. <laughs> Uh, what we get though, um, oh yeah, I was saying something that I will never forget when I first discovered how Falcon became Winter Soldier, uh, or how how Falcon became Captain America, I should say. Uh, it was the damnedest thing. Um, I was reading Jonathan Hickman's Avengers, and I was reading his omnibus, and uh, so I was just really going from one chapter to the next, really enjoying the story. And then all of a sudden I get to a new chapter and I see that Steve Rogers is old as sin. And I'm like, what the hell happened to Steve here? The hell happened? Why is he so old? And then I see that Falcon is Captain America. And now I'm just baffled. I am confused. I am befuddled. I am beside myself because I don't know how we got here. The last issue didn't explain any of this. Because by the way, not to go off on another tangent, but that is just one major problem with like collected issues of comic books is that oftentimes you don't get like the full scope. You got to go elsewhere to get the information that you need, which is what I had to do. So I went to Rick Remender's Captain America run. Rick Remender is an amazing writer. I highly suggest his X-Force run. But anyways, uh, what happened here is that Captain America went to a place, I think it was called Dimension Z, that was created by Arnim Zola. The same Arnim Zola who put his consciousness into a computer, that guy. And long story short, while he was there, he had the super soldier serum taken from him. And so he reverted back to his natural age, which is why he was old as piss in the modern day Avengers book. And he knew that he couldn't be Captain America in his current condition and he needed a replacement. And uh, Sam Wilson was chosen. And uh, it was a good choice. Damn good choice. And uh, so, uh, long story short, elevator pitch, that is how Falcon became uh, becomes um, uh, 
uh, I almost said Winter Soldier again, how he becomes Captain America. Jeez. Uh, now, the thing about it is that, yeah, it, it is a little bit more complex because, like, we see Falcon, he, he does perform, like, some some real acts of bravery to achieve it. It's not like Steve goes, hey, man, you know, you my bro. You want to be Captain America? No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's handled with a little bit more nuance than that. But that is essentially how uh, Sam Wilson takes up that mantle. Now, as far as this show goes here, we know that in Endgame, when Sam is handed the shield, there's a little bit of hesitant there. Like, he doesn't really know if he wants to do this. Like, that's kind of the vibe I got, you know. That's a high mantle. That's uh, a lot of pressure. And I like the reasoning that was given off screen for why Bucky wasn't chosen or why Bucky didn't take it. And that's because, well, Bucky is very susceptible to, uh, you know, mind control or, uh, and also not even that, but Bucky has a very checkered past. What if the public realizes that this new Captain America is James Buchanan Barnes and that Mr. James Buchanan Barnes uh, was a murderous hitman for decades and that he's killed a lot of innocent people including Mr. and Mrs. Stark. That probably wouldn't sit well. So, uh, choosing Falcon, especially in the terms of the MCU, definitely makes more sense. Uh, So, I don't think that this was just like a PC thing done, uh, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, Hollywood definitely loves to check off its diversity boxes when they do shit, but I don't think that this is one of those. I think this was something done to pay homage to the comics and because, honestly, it does make more sense to have Falcon become Captain America. Uh, so now we have to really think about what's going to what's going to happen here in this TV show, because we don't have a whole lot of information here. Hell, again, even the trailer, we only see John Walker in one shot. He's running on the football field and we only see him from behind. We don't see like him forward facing. So. Even even that is interesting. Uh, we do see Zemo pull down the mask, uh, that iconic uh, Zemo mask of his, and we see <laughs> we see a, a very buddy cop ish element between Sam and Bucky, and I think that is probably going to be the driving force for a lot of the show. And I'm here for it. Uh, I think that uh, that those two guys have amazing chemistry. Uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, like those two guys, are clearly very good friends who don't mind busting each other's balls. And I think it's going to be a blast in that regard. But in terms of this show, I am curious, who are they reporting to? Uh, Also, Agent 13, uh, Sharon Carter, uh, she's returning. Uh, What's her role here? Uh, Emily Van Camp, I think is her name, the the actual actress's name. But what's her role here? I think that at the end of uh, Winter Soldier, she uh, applies for a position at the FBI. Now, is she still there? I don't know. It's either FBI or CIA. I want to say she applies for the FBI. But is she still with the FBI? Is that who uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier are reporting to are they working with the FBI I'm still under the pretense that technically there is no shield I mean could it be sword 
But sword wouldn't make any sense because that's technically supposed to be, you know, like a an, an off-world type of organization. So sword wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense either. You know, I think Nick Fury needs to get off his ass on that goddamn scroll ship and bring his ass back down to Earth. He's either on a scroll ship or, or a sword uh, out base, one of the two. Anyways, um, as far as what I expect from this show, this show, from what I know, is only going to be six episodes long. I do think that the episodes are going to be longer than WandaVision, so it's going to make up uh, in, in the long run. But only six episodes. And it is going to premiere on March 19th. So uh, as of this recording, that's like uh, yeah, two weeks from now. So we're going to have a whole week where we don't have any MCU content. And that hurts my feelings. Hurts my feelings a lot. Uh, but anyways, I think that this show was really going to focus a lot on Sam and, and, and Bucky obviously trying to work together. But the show, or at least the trailers, I mean, they do a very good job of remaining pretty ambiguous as far as what we can expect from these two or from the show as a whole. I mean, again, we don't even really get to see John Walker in the trailers. We get to see uh, some shots with Zemo. And, of course, we get to see the two head stars. But we don't really get any clear indication as to what they're doing, who they're fighting, or really what's going on here. I wonder if they're fighting more uh, Hydra subsets. Are there pockets of Hydra that are still left on Earth? Could be. I could definitely see that. Um, Another cool thing would be, what if the MCU finally introduced AIM? I think that'd be awesome. Um, One element I was thinking about, but the more I think about it, the more I doubt it, simply because uh, the the canonical roots from the comics are so different from the MCU, was what if the Cosmic Cube comes into play? Uh, So in the comics, the Cosmic Cube is an artifact that's actually created by AIM, uh, the Advanced Ideal Mechanics. It's created by those bunch of eggheads. Uh, I love AIM, man. AIM is great because they're always creating some weird shit, half of which they don't really know what's gonna, what's it going to do. Uh, I love AIM. Um, but, of course, in the MCU, the Cosmic Cube or the Tesseract is an Infinity Gem. So that kind of puts the kibosh on the possibility of them creating another Infinity Cube. I mean, hell, or unless they realize that, hey, maybe we can create something similar that functions similarly to uh, to the Tesseract. I doubt it. Spitballing. Uh, I do wonder also what about um, what about Baron von Strucker? Uh, I I still don't want to believe that we're done with him, even though in my heart of hearts I know that we are done with Baron von Strucker. And also, I don't know if this show needs another villain in that role. I think that Zemo could be enough. Um, I don't know also exactly. I don't know exactly also how John Walker gets the shield because you know that he has to get the shield. It could be a case of, of maybe the, uh, the agency that he works for, they give him a new shield. I mean, that's a possibility, but that also tells me that, uh, you guys can get vibranium from Wakanda. (laughs) Because if not, that means you have to get the OG shield from Sam Wilson. And now, how does that happen? Uh, I wonder if it happens from Sam relinquishing the shield, maybe in the beginning of the series, and then as the episodes go on, he realizes, no, 
Steve gave me that shield. I need to be the one to wield it. I don't know. There's several different avenues that they could go with this show. And the beauty of it all is that I'm not sure. Uh, that always makes me think about the, uh, what I call the, the, the Reddit conundrum. And that is, if you go on Reddit, you'll find the right idea because on Reddit, people throw every possible idea that could be thought of. They throw every single idea at the wall. One of them is going to stick. You just don't know which one. Except for the one asshole who has, like, uh, who knows what's going to happen because he's seen the script or some shit. There's always that guy on Reddit, too. And he leaks it out there like it's a theory when in reality, this guy knows exactly what's going to happen. There's always that person. Fuck that guy. <laughs> and everything he stands for. Uh, but no, uh, I think that with Falcon and Winter Soldier, man, like, I think that they, they do have to continue to lean into that tone that they had in Winter Soldier. I mean, hell, even, um, you know, to a degree, Civil War had the same tone. Um, I think that they're going to have to also, I mean, I know that they're going to rely heavily on the, the buddy cop relationship between Sam and Bucky, but there also has to be some kind of growth there. There has to be some kind of development there. Um, Spoiler alert uh, for uh, WandaVision. And not really a spoiler alert, just my opinion about how I feel. Uh, but uh, I thought that the, the, the show's conclusion was underwhelming. But uh, there was still character development done for several characters. And I appreciate it in that regard. But I guess ultimately I, I'm worried that this show won't really focus a lot on that. We know that uh, that Marvel products are a lot like dominoes all set up. And when you knock over one domino, another one topples, and then they all topple. I mean, they're in a good way. Not like a house of cards falling down, but in terms of there's always some kind of setup. What does Falcon and Winter Soldier lean into? Uh, what do we get from this? Whatever it is, I think the reason why we can... Uh, feel pretty good about this show with it only being six episodes that it's going to be a tight mini series. It's going to be a really tight series. It's going to be airtight. So there's not going to be a whole lot of room for fluff or for shit that really doesn't make sense for it to be there. And when you take that with the fact, <clears throat> with the fact that they've had so much time to work on this show, you know, because of 2020 being the disaster that it was, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what kind of reshoots are we going to see here? Um, were there any reshoots done? Maybe they had time to think about it and to make some changes. I, who knows? No one knows. But, yeah, I think that's probably about all I have for this one, guys. Um, I'm curious to hear some of your guys' thoughts and theories about the show. Where do you think this show is going to go? Uh, which direction do you think uh, it's going to lean into? Do you think that John Walker is going to be a straight-up villain in this show? Or do you think he's going to make that classical face turn at the end there and join our, our heroes. Uh, I think that the, the fight scenes in this show are going to be amazing. They have to be, uh, they absolutely have to be, uh, because ultimately we're dealing with a bunch of people here who don't have like super duper powers. We're dealing with people who have mechanical wings, a metal arm and a vibranium shield and a gun. <laughs> These are our options here. 
Uh, so there's going to be a lot of fish to cuffs, which I'm looking forward to, but hopefully they're done really creatively. I hope that we get to see some badass action scenes, especially with John Walker. I'm really excited to see him on screen. Uh, I think that I have more faith in Zemo's plot this time around. Um, I feel that like instead of Zemo being forced into the story like he was in Civil War, I feel like he's going to serve more of a purpose here and that he's going to actually be a part of the story versus tagging along with the story. So I do have a lot a lot more faith in that. Uh, ultimately, guys, I think that this show is, is going to, I think it's going to kick ass. Um, and again, like, I don't want to compare it to WandaVision. I don't want to compare a show that I haven't seen any of yet <laughs> to WandaVision, uh, which is, uh, you know, WandaVision was such a totally different show from what Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be. So it's not even fair to compare the two anyway. Um, but I, I do think that I may enjoy Falcon and Winter Soldier a tad bit more. Um it is going to come down to how this show plays out and how they decide to resolve it all. But yeah, guys. So again, let me know what you guys think about this one. Uh, let me know what you guys think about uh, the MCU as a whole. What do you guys think is going to happen next? What's the next big thing? Well, next big thing here. Uh, we, we, we've all been anticipating so much about, you know, Wanda and, and her role in the MCU and what's going to happen next with Spider-Man and Dr. Strange that we haven't really been thinking a whole lot about, more of our grounded heroes, uh, which is ironic since Falcon can literally fly. You know, he's not really technically grounded, but you guys get the point. But what happens next with them? Uh, I think that whatever happens next with them is going to tie uh, probably at least loosely into Black Widow in some regard. There was a rumor uh, a few months ago circulating that uh, Florence Pugh was going to be in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, this rumor came out before Black Widow was pushed back, which means that originally we were going to get to Black Widow and then we were going to get Falcon and Winter Soldier. So it probably would have made more sense in that way to uh, show Florence Pugh, who's going to play uh, Yelena Belova, uh, Black Widow's quote-unquote sister in the movie. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, I, I doubt now that Florence will be in the show, and if she is, I don't know what purpose it would serve. Uh, but again, I guess we'll see. I think that is all I have for this one, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you thought that it was absolute dog shit, if it was horrendous, if you just can't stand me podcasting by myself, uh, don't worry. There won't be too many more episodes like this uh, where I'm doing this solo dolo. Uh, I will have the homie Caleb on and some other homies on for other episodes. And then the homie Kevin will be back in just a few short weeks. Uh, but that is all for now, guys. Hope that you hope that you enjoyed this one as well. If you haven't checked out our Patreon page, please feel free to do so. Uh, just recently, two episodes were uploaded. There was our Dungeons and Dragons episode. That was a pre-recorded episode with the homie Kevin and the homie Oz. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, not just for nerds, or is it? Trust me, guys, that's a really good one. You, want to, you definitely want to check it out. And also, there was an episode done on Dolomite and the Blasportation era. I had a lot of fun with that with that episode, guys. So if uh, you're not familiar with Dolomite... Or the 2019 Eddie Murphy movie, Dolomite Is My Name. Definitely give that a listen to. Uh, I think that you'll really enjoy that episode. Uh, there's a lot of fun content there. And we have more coming down the pipeline as well on Patreon. Of course, uh, in a few weeks, we'll be doing the uh, the, the Godzilla vs. King Kong episode. 
I keep forgetting the name of that movie, which is so weird because it's just the name of those two characters. Anyways, uh, there's also other Patreon ideas that we'll be doing too that'll be coming out in the coming weeks as well. Uh, so there's a lot of real cool content, guys, on our Patreon page. And again, that is at patreon.com backslash superhero homies. That's one of the be- one of the best ways that you guys can support us. And of course, if you can, find it in your heart of hearts to uh, share the podcast and continue to listen and tell your friends and family about it. The more people who hear this, the better. And uh, the more positive comments you guys leave for the podcast, the better. That helps us rise in the algorithm so more homies can find it. Uh, but that is all for now. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for all you guys do for us and for continuing to listen and to support us. That's all for now. But until next time, my name is Superhero Homie Q, signing off. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.